This episode is sponsored by Javi, a delicious liquid coffee concentrate that helps me start every day. Because I'm 50 shades of up. Show me then. What are the messages the Fifty Shades trilogy leaves us with? And are any of them actually useful in real romances, or should we pretty much view the story as a cautionary tale? The books and movies center on the quiet virgin Anastasia Steele and her dom love interest Christian Grey. That would be fine if the stories didn't conflate control with love, display a very murky understanding of consent, and imply that Christian's many toxic, borderline abusive traits are all part of his preference for BDSM. That's a submissive consent to being gagged. How much pain is a submissive willing to experience? Ultimately, the movies put a reductive lens on everything from heterosexual relationships to alternative sexual practices. Here's our breakdown of all of Fifty Shades' toxic takeaways. You're mine. All mine. You understand? Plus, one very good legacy the trilogy has left us with. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe and click the bell to be notified about all of our new videos. Toxic takeaway number one, power imbalance is sexy. From the moment Anna is introduced to Christian Grey, there's a power imbalance. Their first encounter has the anatomy of a meat cute. It's accidental because she's filling in for a friend. She trips over on her way into the room, she's forgotten her pen, and he provides her with one. But in reality, he's a tremendously powerful business person while she's a student. And during this initial meeting, she's shown to be incredibly uncomfortable. I don't think I'd fit in here. <laughs> After this, Christian takes it upon himself to show up at Anna's work unannounced, throwing her off guard and making her uncomfortable again. During these encounters, he consistently has all of the power, and despite his making her uncomfortable every time, she keeps going back for more, as if she's internalized that the attention of this rich, handsome man is automatically an amazing gift no matter how he acts. Do you have a girlfriend? Is that it? In these very early stages of the relationship, Christian is playing power games with Anna. He gets very intense with her, very quickly, invites her for coffee, and then, without any real provocation, and without explaining why, he tells her he can't be with her. I'm not the man for you. You should steer clear of me. This kind of mind game is typical of narcissists' ploys to reel a partner in and ultimately control her. Psychotherapist Aaron Leonard says that a deeply insecure partner oscillates from nice to mean, caring to cold, interested to dismissive, and then back again. This continually throws a person off and keeps him or her spinning. This outpouring of affection and then sudden withdrawal is also a trademark part of love bombing, the attempt to manipulate or get a love interest with huge romantic gestures, and then, once the partner is hooked, shifting toward controlling and sometimes abusive behavior. Christian sends Anna first editions of her favorite Hardy novels. This is too much. I can't accept these, I have to send them back. An example of over-the-top gifting, which writer Cindy Lamothe on Healthline lists as the first aspect of love bombing. It's used by narcissists to create a sense of debt in the receiver. When this doesn't work, and Anna calls Christian to say she's returning the books, he focuses on the fact that she's been drinking. Anastasia, have you been drinking? This is presented as chivalrous in the movie, but if we break it down, it's extremely controlling. Anna is a 21-year-old college student. She's allowed to be drinking and is out having fun with her friends. What Christian does next is borderline stalking. He traces her call and turns up at the bar, bringing his brother along as a decoy for her friend. All of these factors are set up as Christian being unusually caring, but they're actually extremely invasive. I'm with Kate. Hello, Bella, tell her. Who's Elliot? He's my brother. He's inside talking to her right now. 
The power imbalance goes beyond sex, too. It's also his wealth versus her relative poverty, his confidence versus her shyness. These things are used to overpower her. He dazzles her with his money and bulldozes over her desires with his own. This extreme power is positioned as being sexy, but because he uses it to get what he wants out of Anna, it's actually really problematic. This is what I want. I want it with you. We also see her lose her autonomy when they get together. She goes from living in an apartment with her best friend and driving herself around, to moving into Christian's soulless penthouse and being chauffeured around, having clothing bought for her by his assistant, and generally being treated like his doll. Let's discuss this back at my place. I can have someone come by, do your hair. Christian, I don't care about my hair! He even buys their family home without consulting her. These things might seem like an attractive prospect, but they're pretty infantilizing, particularly when Christian attempts to use them as a bargaining chip. And perhaps most disturbingly, his fiery temper controls her too. His fury when she reveals she's pregnant is unsettling. I wanted to give you the world, not diapers and vomit and shit. Do you really think that I'm ready to be a father? and she's shown to know it's coming. She doesn't tell him right away because she's scared to. As she suspects, he loses it. In his view, not getting pregnant is Anna's sole responsibility. You forgot your shot? Christian. I'm sorry. He then leaves her when she's feeling super vulnerable about everything and goes and drinks with his ex, holding power over her by withdrawing his support from her when she needs it the most. I'm not ready to figure it out. It's not just Christian who becomes ugly with excess power. That power rubs off on Anna, too. We see a harder edge on her as the series goes on. The way she speaks to people can be cruel, and it's usually where Christian is involved. Take this scene with their interior designer, Anna. <laughs> I have designed many prestige projects. You may call me Mrs. Gray. Anna perceives that the woman may be attracted to Christian, and the way that she asserts her power is through sharp warnings and personal insults. I suggest you stop making eyes at my husband and keep your hands to yourself. Or you can go and climb back into your shit-colored car and drive back to Seattle. Toxic takeaway number two, you can change the toxic guy. The main takeaway of the whole trilogy is the idea that you can change the toxic guy, if you're special enough. I had no idea what this was going to become. I didn't know you'd be different. Anecdotal evidence and solid research says you can't, not without him going to serious therapy, but rather than open that idea up for conversation, the Fifty Shades trilogy romanticizes attachment issues, as if a one true love can turn a deeply traumatized, abusive man into a great husband and father. I know you think you're going to be a really shitty dad, but you're not. This baby's going to love you. This taps into our collective special girl fantasies, but in real life, this message sets most of us up to fail. The idea of Anna's inherent superiority in her ability to reshape Christian is hammered home in the series. It takes this quiet, sensitive virgin to tame him as no one else can. I've never slept next to anyone, ever, only you. Ultimately, in order to be a better partner and a better person, Christian would need to acknowledge the multiple aspects of his background that led to his issues. He's shown to have a sneering attitude towards his biological mother, who was a drug addict and sex worker. He lost his virginity to a trusted, much older family friend in a statutory rape situation, yet he still refers to her as a friend. Our relationship ended years ago. We're just friends. His brother's description of him as a child points to serious emotional trauma. It's a miracle he talks at all. When mom and dad first brought him home, he never spoke. These difficult early experiences have shaped Christian's approach to attachment. 
Counselor Sharon Stein says that in cases such as these, which involve narcissistic abusers like Christian, it's important for patients to recenter their inner child during therapy. Instead, Christian continues to liaise with people who have hurt him, seeking their approval, and in turn hurts the people who love him. Don't you like me the way I am? Of course I do. And why are you trying to change me? At their first interview, Christian is extremely flirty, and he asks Anastasia out to coffee. Bold, sweet, strong, aromatic, any shade of coffee requires us to slow down and enjoy it. If you are a coffee lover and get out of bed looking forward to that first sip, I can't recommend Javi enough. Javi is a liquid coffee concentrate that makes me excited to get out of bed every day. It's that good. The original concentrate is my go-to. This 100% Arabica coffee is so smooth and flavorful. Plus, like all Javi flavors, it's dairy and sugar-free. What I love about Javi is the convenience of it. When I've just gotten up and need my coffee fix right away, all I have to do is put some milk or water in a cup, then pour in a few teaspoons of Javi and stir. It takes seconds, and then I can sit back and enjoy one of the best coffees I've ever had. Seriously, it's better than what I could get at a coffee shop and way more affordable. I also appreciate that Javi is ethically sourced, comes in sustainable glass bottles, and they have direct relationships with small organic farmers. If you want to taste the perfect cup of coffee yourself, click the link in the description below, www.buy.javicoffee.com slash the take, and you can get 25% off your order using the code the take. Toxic takeaway number three, BDSM is bad. Overall, the trilogy implies that being into BDSM is a problem to solve, and it ultimately pathologizes any sort of sex that doesn't fit into what society deems normal. While in theory Fifty Shades helped bring some aspects of BDSM more into the mainstream, it did so with a negative, judgmental tone and misleading suggestions. Why do you want to hurt me? I would never do anything to you that you couldn't handle. But why do you even want to do anything to me at all, Christian? When the movie was released, many members of the BDSM community publicly discussed the inaccuracies of the portrayal. From the way that Anna and Christian's partnership comes about, to the fact that it's unusual for anyone to take part in a 24-7 BDSM relationship. Fetish club owner Ronald Elliston told The Guardian, People like Anastasia usually get into the scene on their own in small steps. If the story had been about her discovering BDSM, then meeting someone like him, it would tie in. But someone that's fallen in love, finds out the guy is basically a sadist, then engages in that world, it's not realistic. I need you to show me what you want to do to me. Punish me. Fifty Shades suggests the reason Christian is a dom is because he was introduced to BDSM as a teenager through a relatively traumatic situation an underage relationship with an older family friend. I was her submissive for six years. There is a significant body of research into the link between BDSM preferences and higher instances of childhood trauma. But in these instances, partaking in BDSM is understood to be a proactive way of owning, recontextualizing, and working through trauma. This isn't what happens in Fifty Shades of Grey. In fact, much of Christian's trauma stems from BDSM, so the series villainizes the practice rather than acknowledging the role it can play in healing trauma. We see Christian use it as revenge against Anna, which she rightly acknowledges means that she's not safe during some of their sexual encounters. That was not love. Christian, that was revenge. Toxic takeaway number four, money is everything. The movies have a distinct capitalist streak. We're encouraged to enjoy the couple's multiple homes, cars, jets, and even airlines. And none of this absurd capital is ever really questioned or explained. Although we're often reminded, in laughable scenarios, that Christian redistributes his wealth to some of the world's poorest communities. I love what you're doing in Africa. 
It's largely Christian's wealth that makes him such an unbelievable catch and turns their love story into such a fairy tale that transforms her life into a success story. So not only does this imply bagging a rich man is the ultimate goal, it also suggests that rich men get a lot more leeway to behave however they want thanks to their money. Something that we also see proven in our world. When I run for president in 2024, we want to definitely know what y'all laughing at. <laughs> Christian gets away with a lot of stuff because he's wealthy. He blindsides Anna with a trip on his jet or his ridiculous penthouse apartment so that she forgets she's laid down boundaries which he's ignoring. Simply being his wife also means that Anna gets a lot of opportunities. He owns the publishing house where she works. And although they repeatedly reiterate that Anna got to her position on her own hard work, Christian did pull strings to get her boss, Hyde, fired, and she subsequently took his place. You're gonna be my boss. Technically, I'll be your boss's boss's boss. When it turns out that Hyde is actually a former foster sibling of Christian's with a murderous chip on his shoulder, it's implied that he's the bad guy because he didn't get the opportunities Christian did. If I'd been left in the system, who knows how I would have turned out. Toxic takeaway number five, consent is a battle of wearing the other person down. A key tenet of BDSM relationships and practices is having very clear communication of ground rules and a strong understanding of consent. But Fifty Shades sends some very mixed up, confusing messages about what consent is. Christian tries to get Anna to sign a contract to be in a submissive dominant relationship with him where she hands over all control to him. I already have a contract prepared. It's fairly detailed. And this plot is uncomfortable because he keeps pushing the contract even though Anna resists it and is clearly not sure. When Anna reveals she's a virgin though, Christian has sex with her without the contract. What are you doing? Rectifying the situation. I'm a situation. Because he can't resist her virginity, Christian isn't respectful of his own rules. And while he tells Anna he'll never do anything without her explicit consent, these lines are consistently blurred. Submissives from the BDSM community highlighted how strange it is that Christian regularly berates Anna when she doesn't get things right in his eyes and criticize the fact that he doesn't allocate time for aftercare, a period of being gentle and supportive after their sexual encounters. At the end of the first movie, the relationship tips over into an extremely toxic and abusive situation where she verbally consents but is simultaneously horrified and upset by what's happening. This is what you want. You want to see, you want to see me like this? This is one interesting thing that the movies highlighted, the fact that consent is about more than just saying yes. But at the same time, the general erosion of Anna's free will is positioned as being an extension of marriage. Look at you, you're so, what, married. The series links BDSM with the typical husband, breadwinner, pretty wife ideal, almost using BDSM metaphorically to imply that it echoes something inherent to traditional male-female relationships. Writing for The Week, Lily Luthborough says, The subtext is that the BDSM contract and the marriage contract share a lot more than anyone quite likes to admit. And she even says that, in the context of this movie, the marriage contract comes off as worse. The movie portrays this ultra-traditional marriage as a relationship where the female has to give up all control of herself. Take off the whole thing. Not a chance. Why? You're showing plenty as it is. Loofborough highlights the sinister ways in which Anna is coerced into things she doesn't want to do, like when she wants to keep her maiden name at work, but Christian wears her down. Anna Steele is the name I use at work. I work because I love my job. But you can't love it as Anna Gray? And she ends up changing it to Gray, just to keep him happy. 
Anna Gray's office. Ultimately, Lufbero argues that Fifty Shades articulates a tortured space in which some women end up lying about their own desires in order to sanitize a story that would otherwise look oppressive or even abusive. You must say you want it in order not to be judged for accepting it. For all of Christian's expensive equipment, most of the sex that the movie actually shows is fairly vanilla, just like the vanilla relationship Anna craves. You wanna, what do you call it? A vanilla relationship? The erotic fantasy is less about BDSM and more about a very traditional, old-fashioned relationship setup, which involves a hyper-traditional man having total control. Toxic takeaway number six, love hurts. Though we see Christian incrementally change, it's not without hurting Anna badly first, both literally, because Christian is a sadist, but even more so emotionally. Why do you need to? Because it's the way I am! Their dynamic sends the extreme disturbing message that bagging an exceptional man requires putting up with a lot of pain and suffering, and the hurt makes the payoff all the sweeter. It tells us that some men need time to learn how to treat us right, and ultimately, that's just not true. Christian repeatedly transgresses basic aspects of the mutual respect required to make a relationship or marriage work, and it's framed as a forgivable mistake. The things I said, I want to take them all back. Sweetheart, if there was no room in marriage for mistakes, none of them would last more than a week. But when your intimate partner crosses your most fundamental boundaries to make you feel deeply disrespected or degraded, there's a lot of work needed to repair that, far beyond a simple sorry. Although this trilogy is a toxic takeaway minefield, it had one really great positive impact. It unapologetically put a lens on female audiences' sexuality and pleasure in a way that we didn't really get in mainstream movies before. I should misbehave more often. Maybe you should. Women of any age are entitled to see their desires reflected in the media. Plus, this demographic is huge and was basically untapped before Fifty Shades of Grey emerged. She's been listening to Fifty Shades of Grey, which, if you don't know what it is, it's a book about a... Um, it's like, porn. Yeah. In many ways, this was a breakthrough, allowing producers to see how much merit there is in movies and shows that create sex scenes through the female gaze. Fifty Shades mainstreamed a certain type of female sexuality, walking so Bridgerton, and a whole host of shows like it, could run. Let's say I did stay, what would happen? Thank you for watching The Take. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you're watching.